The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. Hey, so Wanda, before, before we get in, just want to say a, a public thank you and acknowledgement. I don't know if you know this or not, but we have an incredible team here at Morgan Hill Bible Church that does so much work that allows Sundays to, to operate as they do. And so if you are new and this is your first worship service inside, you might not notice that anything's different. But if you are back inside, you might be like, hey, those TVs are pretty cool. And if you look out in the lobby, that area is revamped as well. And so Ricky and Norm have been leading the way and doing so much work to get this space ready. So huge thank you to them. And then Caleb and Ethan um, for all the the things moving back inside. Um, They just have done an amazing job. And we have an incredible, incredible team here at our church that works so hard um, to help all of these things go well. Also wanted to to let you know, yeah, we can give a round of applause. I like it. Also wanted to let um, you know by way of information that a former elder from our church, um, Terry West, passed away this week and is with the Lord. So he was an elder many years ago, but if you've been a part of our church for a while, you may know their family. So I'm going to pray for them as we begin our time together, and please keep them um, in your prayers as you think of them this week. God, we do, we do thank you for your faithfulness to us in each and every season of life. God, I thank you for your faithfulness to this church God, and you have provided, and we trust that you always will. And so we thank you. God, we do pray for the the West family as they mourn this loss. God, we thank you that, that we don't grieve as those without hope. But we know because of the resurrection that Terry is with you, and he is experiencing eternal life and is in no pain and no Um, no hurt anymore. And so we thank you for the hope that we have, but would you be present with the West family this week, especially as they grieve and mourn that loss? Um, Would your spirit provide as only you can? God, we pray that you would be with us this morning as we open your word. Would it allow us to, to change, to transform our hearts and our lives? May we line up with what you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are, we are talking this morning about marriage, about marriage. And if you're new here, this is not just some random topic that I woke up this week and decided, hey, I want to talk about this on Sunday. But we are working through the book of Ephesians. And, and Paul has talked about the last few weeks, he started to get into specific examples of what a life surrendered to Jesus looks like. He's trying to give practical ways that, that we can do this. In the next three weeks, especially, he really pauses and dials in on a few different areas of life on which the gospel should be reflected through us. And so today we're going to be in Ephesians 5 looking at how this is true in marriage. Now this sermon today is not like three steps to a better marriage, like listen for the next 30 minutes and your life will be changed because of what I've said. I'm not that good. I'm sorry. But, um, <laughs> but, but, but what we're going to think about the overarching theme of our sermon today as we look at this text is this, is that Christian marriage is a powerful picture of the gospel. Christian marriage rightfully lived out as this passage today calls us to is a picture of the gospel to our world. You know, the the gospel are these truths of what Jesus, the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And marriages rightly lived out point to Jesus. 
It's a reflection of what God has done. And uniquely, the marriage relationship points in unique ways to who Jesus is and what he has done for us. They point people, they should point people to the gospel. Now, if you want further reading on this, because I know for most of us, not all of us today, but for a lot of us today, we are married. If you want more ideas on, on how this works, that, that marriage actually points to the gospel, two resources that I use a lot this week and have found helpful. First, this book, Marriage and the Mystery of the Gospel by Ray Ortland. For those of you who don't like reading, it's the right size book as well. It's like 90 pages. Um, so, and it traces from Genesis through Revelation and how marriage actually points to Jesus. Jesus and his redemptive work. And then another one um, by Tim and Kathy Keller called The Meaning of Marriage. And this is 200 and something pages on just the text that we're going to look at today. And so if I don't specifically address a question that you have about Ephesians chapter 5 today, most likely it is in this book. So if you really want to dive deeper on this passage, this is a great resource as well. So as we think about marriage, it's important for us to remind ourselves of this, that marriage is not just a cultural institution, but it's something divinely ordained. That God is the one who instituted marriage into our world. It's not like two people thought it up sometime, but it's actually given to us by God. And we must make sure that our ideas of what marriage is, is a reflection of God and of scripture, not just of our own cultural backgrounds. By cultural backgrounds, I mean both the world in which we live which has a lot of opinions and ideas on marriage, many of which don't line up to scripture, but also as well, just the cultures and backgrounds in which we are raised. Some of our families and some of our traditions, it's just that's the way it was, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's the way scripture says it has to be. And so we need to be, to be ready to allow scripture to inform this area of our life. And so this morning, we're gonna see three pictures of the gospel in marriage, three pictures of the gospel in marriage, starting at verse 22. It says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. The first picture of the gospel in marriage is a picture of submission a picture of submission. Now, it's important for us to realize how this text that we're looking at today flows in Paul's argument through the book of Ephesians. And so in Ephesians chapter four, verse one, overarching really the rest of the book, he said that you need to walk worthy of this calling to which Jesus has placed on your life, right? So all of us are to walk into the salvation that Jesus has for us. In chapter five, verse one, he said to be imitators of God, that our lives should reflect God into this world. And then down in chapter five, verse 18, he said that we are to be filled with the spirit. To be filled with the spirit, we looked at that last week and how it's seen in this life of worship, a life of thankfulness. And then in verse 21, it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so Paul says submission, submission of our hearts is a regular posture for every believer. And what he's now going to do is this week and then the next two weeks, he's gonna flush out and give specific examples of how this looks, what submission can look like in different areas of our lives. But Paul is assuming, and I'm assuming today that as we look at this text, that Paul is addressing here that these are two people who want to be filled with the Spirit. 
who are walking with Jesus and want their lives to be a reflection of the gospel, which has transformed their hearts and lives. In fact, in verse 22, when it says, submit to your own husbands, that word actually isn't even there. It says in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your husbands. It's assuming that we have followed the train of thought from verse 21. So submission is a regular part of the Christian life, and it's specifically applied here to the marriage relationship of a wife to her husband. Now, this phrase, wives submit to your husbands, has been taken to say that it means so many different things in our world today, right? And depending on which culture and backgrounds you have or don't have, you're like saying right now, how dare this man say this, right? Like, what, what is going on? Well, for, for let's, let's start with this. What does it not mean, right? What is the text not saying here, right? It is not saying all women submit to all men, right? It is not saying that women can't be CEOs and run business. It is not saying that, right? This is specific for one relationship, one, two people, one and one, right? Wives submit to your own husbands, not wives submit to every husband, right? All men who are, no, just to your husband. It is not saying that the women is less valuable than men. It's not arguing that. It's not saying that the that wives submit to your husbands because you are less gifted than men and you need him because you're less gifted. It is not saying that. It is not calling wives to unconditional or blind obedience to whatever your husband may say. It's not saying you are now some robot that just has to do his bidding as he commands. That is not what it's saying. It is not saying that there are certain roles or tasks that must be handled by the wife and certain roles that have to be handled by the man. It is not saying that wives, you have to do this and husbands, you have to do these specific roles. What it's talking about is an attitude of the heart in submission to the family as God has so ordered it. And so what is submission? We talked about this briefly last week because submission is something that is asked of all of us as Christians. Submission literally means to arrange oneself under, to arrange underneath something. And it comes from a military background. Whereas you think in the military, other people submit themselves to the authority over top of themselves, but they do it. Submission actually carries with it the connotation, you do this for the benefit of the entire group. That submission is done in mind that by submitting, it actually improves the whole and it's done with this background. It says here in verse 23 that, we, that wives are called to submit. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now, looking at how this word is used in other places is helpful to figure out what he's saying here. And in Ephesians 1.22 and 4.15, this word is used of Jesus and speaking of his leadership and his authority that he has over these things. And so God is calling on husbands to lead and wives to submit to this leadership. Now, we're going to talk a lot more about what this looks like for husbands. I had someone at the first service say, hey, I had my wife this morning read the first three verses of today's passage. I told him, don't worry, I'm gonna get to the whole thing, not just the first three verses, all right? So this is the example, is that Christ is head over the church and the church submits to Christ. What this is a call to is for wives to voluntarily submit of themselves. When it says, as to the Lord, it's not to treat your husband it is as if he is God, but submission to your husband is actually a way of serving God, of actually serving him. 
And when it says that you submit in everything, it's not that you have to like blindly obey what he says in every situation, but it's envisioning this. And we're going to see this later on in the passage that in a marriage relationship, there is such unity brought together that there is no area of our lives as a married couple that are separated from one another. It's not as if I have my money and you have yours. I have my time, you have yours. No, all of these things intertwine in this very intermingled relationship of unity with one another, this relationship of voluntary submission. So how does this demonstrate the gospel? Calling on wives to submit to their husbands. How does this demonstrate the gospel? Well, it's important for us to understand this because Jesus is the model of what voluntary submission looks like. In Philippians chapter two, starting at verse five, it says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In 1 Corinthians, it talks about Jesus submitting himself to the will of the Father. And it's the exact same word here that's used of wives submitting to their husbands. So in the Trinity, you have this relationship that's always existed of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what it's saying is Jesus of his own accord voluntarily submitted himself to come and to take on flesh in order to die for us. And so if we think that submission means some sort of inferiority, that that the one who's called to submit is somehow lesser than the other, this blows that away because in no way is Jesus inferior to the Father because of what he's done for us. In no way at all. And so by asking wives to submit it, saying just as Jesus has done, so now the gospel is calling wives to do as well. So how does this look? How does this look in everyday life and in everyday relationships? Well, that depends. That depends. The passage doesn't really give any specifics, and neither will I. Because here's the thing. Each and every person is created unique. And each and every marriage is unique as God has wired you and brought you together. And this will look different in each and every relationship. I think we often get in trouble when it works one way in our marriage or in our parents' marriage or in a marriage we've seen. And now we assume that this is how every marriage has to work because of what we have seen or because of what I have done. And that's just not always the true. But what it is saying is this. I think more, more concerning than the specific behaviors that maybe Paul is thinking of is this, is that what Jesus is after is actually the posture of our hearts. And that as we submit ourselves, I think if this is the posture of a wife submitting herself, I think that the rest will kind of take care. The details will work itself out. As you seek to follow after and honor God and have your whole life surrendered to what Jesus would call you to, the details will work themselves out if our heart is to follow after what Jesus has laid for us and he himself has modeled for us in his own life. Ladies, don't worry. The passage doesn't end there. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, 
so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. The second picture of the gospel in marriage should be a picture of love. A picture of love. Just as in verse 22, this call to submission was built on an application of verse 21. So too in verse 25, this call for husbands to love their wives is a specific application of what all believers are called to do in chapter five, verse two, right? Where we are all called to walk in love just as Jesus gave himself up for us. Notice what he does not say. He does not say, husbands, rule over your wives. If you think the Bible says that, you need to get a new translation. That's not what it says. It says, husbands, love your wives. And what is this kind of love? It's the kind of love we looked at last week, a repeated phrase here, that Jesus gave himself up for her gave himself up of the church. It's this sacrificial, self-giving love that should characterize all believers that specifically, he says, husbands, this kind of love that would give up of yourself for someone else, that's that kind of love that should characterize your relationship with your wife. And this is the kind of love that Jesus has shown towards us, right? That Jesus, through this love, and notice the, the goal of this love that he has for us, that he might sanctify the church, cleanse her with the washing of his word, so he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, that she would be holy and blameless. The point is this, just as Jesus, out of his sacrificial and self-giving love, improves and is for our betterment, it makes us better in the end as a church because of what Jesus has done for us. That husbands are called to love their wives in such a sacrificial, self-giving way that her life is better because of your love for her. Your focus is so off of yourself and onto her that her life is improved because your love is in it. This is called, just as we would in verse 20, 28, I think 29, to nourish and cherish our own bodies. To think of these things, that's the call that we have as husbands to nourish and to cherish for our spouse. So we talked about how the Christ, just the husband, excuse me, is the, the head, just as Christ is the head of the church. And we can easily think of leadership and, and start to go off on tangents there. But when we tie these verses together, it's clear that a godly husband leads with love. A godly husband leads out of the love that Jesus has for them and out of the love that they have in their hearts. This is the kind of love that puts the needs and the interests of the spouse first. It gives your wife the place of priority in your relationship. See, sometimes when, when that phrase there is that the husband is the head, we think of, well, then, then he just bosses the wife around and her job is to serve him. But if we get this right, Christ-like leadership gives far more than it gets. Christ-like leadership gives of itself far more than it gets. Because think of this, if Jesus is the head of the church, what does he give to us? His sacrificial love, laying down his life, providing for us relationship and eternal life. What do we give to him? 
We give ourselves, kind of messed up selves that we are. We're like, here I am, right? Jesus gives far more of himself than he ever gets from us. And that's this picture of what husbands are called to lead like, that you give far more than you ever would expect to get in return. How does this demonstrate the gospel? Well, it should be a picture of Jesus's love for us. When the world looks at our marriages, men, it should see Jesus with how we treat our spouse. That we should be so giving, so freely giving of ourselves that it points others to the sacrificial love of Jesus. So how does this look? How does this look in a marriage relationship? I think there's so many, so many ways that you could go here, but I think one thing that, that we need to pause and remind ourselves of because it goes so contrary to what we hear around us. But if the example that husbands have to love their wives is the same example of Jesus giving up of himself and dying for us, then love is not just a feeling, but an action based on commitment. Love is not just a feeling, but it is an action. Love is an action based on a commitment that has been made. See, so many marriages fall apart because they don't get this, right? They think that love is a feeling, that love is a feeling, and that somehow when that feeling is gone, it means that love has evaporated, and that what happens when that feeling is gone, you need to leave and chase the feeling again. Find someone else who will give you that feeling all over again. Now, if you've been married for any stretch of time, you know that there are days where you will look at your spouse, your husband or your wife, and you may think to yourself, I love you, but I don't really like you today. Like, what is going, what? what? Like, I don't really know. Man, you are, I don't really like you right now. I'm not in love. I don't have those butterfly feelings in my stomach anymore. Now, hopefully that didn't happen like the day after you got married. But at some point it happens. At some point it happens. And, and I do hope if you are dating or engaged right now, I do hope you have those feelings of love for each other. Like that, that's a good thing. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. But that is not all of what love is. See, when it comes to husbands, when it comes to loving our wives, the question is not, do we feel like it, but will we do it regardless of what we feel? Will we love if we feel like loving, or will we feel regardless of how we feel? Because here's the thing, when Jesus is our example, we have to think of his love. Did Jesus feel like dying for us on the cross? No. The answer is no. In the hours before he was to go to the cross, he prayed, if there's any other way, let it be so. And God was like, there's not. And he said, okay, I'm still going to do it. I will act in love, even if I don't necessarily feel like I want to in the moment. And that's what we are called to do, to act in love, even if we don't feel it. In fact, we're to act in love, especially when we don't feel it. That the love of Christ flowing through us is not just a feeling, but it is action based on this commitment that we have made. See, when did Jesus love us? He loved us, not when we got ourselves all put together and presented it nice. Jesus loved us at our very worst. 
right? It says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Jesus moves and he acts on our behalf. He gives of himself before we ever got our lives right. And that should characterize our relationship as husbands. So when we think of a sacrificial love and Jesus's ultimate sacrifice for us, sometimes it can be easy as a man to say, well, yes, I would die for my wife. And I, I hope you can say that. that, that's a good thing. But what the passage is doing is not just saying, husbands, are you willing to die for your wife? But it's saying, husbands, are you willing to get off the couch? Are you willing to get off your phone? Husbands, are you willing to turn off the TV? Are you willing to listen? Are you willing to do not just like lay down your life, but are you willing to do the day in and day out things that show that I value you above myself. I will sacrifice of my own time, my own energy, whatever I have to give to you. I'm certainly not perfect here. So I'm not preaching today just as much to myself as I am to anyone, but that's what the gospel calls of us to sacrificially love, to give of ourselves so that the other may be improved. There's this metaphor that he closed with there in verse 30, that we are members of his body, a a metaphor that has been used throughout. And he continues with that in verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. The third picture of the gospel here is a picture of unity. That Christian marriages should be a picture of unity to the world. The quote here in verse 31 is of Genesis 2.24. And it's of God saying this, the very first marriage in the Garden of Eden that of all the relationships in this world, when a man and a woman are joined together in marriage, they leave everything else behind and they now hold fast. They cling to one another in a a new and unique way. What he's saying is this, when you are married, that commitment, that relationship now supersedes all other commitments and relationships in your life. Your marriage comes before your relationship with your parents. Your marriage is even more important than your relationship with your kids. It is the most important relational priority in your life because only when two people are married is it that the two become one flesh. That Jesus unites them together in marriage to be one. A radical unity that should be experienced in marriage. This has impacts as we think of being united to our spouse, being joined together with them. It affects so many different areas of our lives. One that I immediately, in my mind, that I jump to is it affects how we think of and handle conflict in a marriage. See, sometimes you may think or you may hear it said that a healthy conflict, it means that there's, excuse me, a healthy marriage means that there's never any conflict in a relationship. And I don't think that's necessarily true. Sometimes it's actually dangerous because in a relationship where there's never any conflict, oftentimes it just means that both parties have given up, that they're not even sharing or expressing things. Conflict is a natural part of life. Why? Because God created you and your spouse different. And he just did. 
And as beautiful as that is, sometimes it's just as frustrating, right? As you look at your spouse from across the table and be like, wait, you think what? Like, you want to do what? Like, why, why would you think that? That is entirely opposite of what I would think. That is entirely different than what I would want to do. See, a healthy marriage is not one in which there is no conflict, but a healthy marriage is seen in the tone and the outcome of the conflicts that you have. And I remember for me, this was especially so true. I'm still learning this lesson, but this was especially true for me when I first got married. Because see, when you're single and when you're growing up, and especially as a young adult, right, and you're in conflict, what do you want to do? You want to prove that you are right. You want to win the argument, right? So you're going to do all you can to prove that you are right. And then you get married to your husband and you look to your wife and you start to try and prove you're right. And suddenly in the relationship, you being right is more important than them, if that's your attitude. But what start to see is if Jesus has united you together, that you have to ask yourself in conflict this question, am I fighting for me or am I fighting for us? Because sometimes those look different. Am I fighting to be right or am I fighting for our relationship? Because he went to win the argument when you're married means that you come out together looking more like Jesus. Not one side proves they are right over the other. Because we have been united together. Unity is characterized by this radical concern and focus for the other. So how does this unity that's experienced in marriage, how does this demonstrate the gospel? Well, Paul takes, the author of this book, the most profound oneness that we as humans can experience, the unity of marriage. And he says, that's a picture of what happens in your salvation. That unity of the two becoming one is a picture of what it looks like when someone becomes a follower of Jesus. It's this picture of a full commitment to his church from Jesus's behalf, right? That Jesus isn't just like, hmm, I kind of like you guys, but maybe I'm going to find someone else. No, but if Jesus is truly united to us with the permanence that would have in mind with this marriage relationship of the two becoming one and cannot be separated, and this speaks of Christ and his church, it means that Jesus is fully committed to the church, I love the phrase that, that other people have said, the church is Jesus's plan A for the world and he doesn't have a plan B. This is it. He's fully committed to his people. Meaning this, that Jesus is fully committed to you. If you are a Christian, you are united to Jesus. He is yours and you are his and he is fully committed to you. So how does this look in a marriage relationship? what well, looks like full and permanent commitment to one another. Full and permanent commitment to the spouse that you have. That the two have become one. And Jesus has united you together in marriage. And that despite all your differences and backgrounds, despite the conflicts that may come, this is not just something that is for a season of your life, but is your life. That you are now one as Jesus has brought you together. One of my favorite books, not just when I was a, a kid, but even as an adult, I've reread them several times, are the books, The Chronicles of Narnia. And I love them because they're written with a Christian background. And so they show biblical truths, right? And C.S. Lewis has said that, that his goal was when you read about Aslan the Lion, you wouldn't just 
fall in love with the character, but that it would be a picture and point you to Jesus. That's what marriage should be doing in our world. That's what Christian marriage should be. That as people see our lives, it should point to something beyond ourselves. And the goal is, as we live these truths out, that the thing that it points to is the radical, sacrificial love of Jesus and the change that can be experienced when we know him. See, in our world, there's a lot of conflict over marriage. There's a lot of disagreements over it. We all know and love dearly people in our lives. Maybe it's been true for some of us in our own life of marriages that have failed. Marriages that certainly have not lived up to this standard that God calls us to. But as we seek to surrender all of our lives to Jesus, to be imitators of him, to be filled by the spirit, these are the commands that God has for us. And my prayer is that because of the state of our world and the place in which we live, that as followers of Jesus live out these truths, that the gospel is seen through our lives. The gospel is seen as we sacrificially love one another, even when we don't feel like it. It's a voluntary submission to one another. That the gospel calls us to stay fully committed to one another through the good and the bad. Why? Because Jesus is fully committed to us and has modeled for us what that looks like. See, Christian marriage is a powerful picture of the gospel. And so when people see our marriages, when people see your marriage, if you're married this morning, does your marriage point people to Jesus? Do they see Jesus's love? Do they know of his grace? Do they know of his commitment to his church because they have seen how you live your life? That's the goal. Not just that in marriage, we would be happy. That's great as well. But the goal is that through our relationships, through especially this marriage relationship, that the truth of the gospel would be made known and be made seen in our worlds so that Jesus would be honored and glorified. God, we thank you. We thank you for marriage. God, that you divinely ordained it and that it can so point people to you. God, we ask, I ask in my life, God, that you would make this true. God, this is a challenging and difficult area. God, so would you give us the grace, the power that we need to follow you in obedience? to do what you have called us to do. God, I pray that as Morgan Hill Bible Church lives in this community in the South Valley in which you've placed us, God, would, would the families represented here, with the marriages of this church, God, would they represent you well? Would they be little pictures of the gospel all over where you've placed us, that people would see Jesus through our lives? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.